Romans chapter number six. I'll probably tote this mic with me if you want to turn the podium mic off, Brother Otis. Uh, appreciate your all that you do back there in that sound room to keep up with all of us. <laughs> Amen. Romans chapter number six. And uh, last week we taught on uh, when grace gets frustrated. And we talked about what it means for grace to get frustrated. And if you missed that lesson, you need to go back and listen to it on Facebook, on the Facebook feed. They're usually titled by date, like last Sunday's date, and it'll say Sunday night. So you can easily find it if you missed it. Uh, so I'm doing a little bit of a series on grace right now. Uh, tonight we're talking about when grace gets abused. Uh, I actually want to start in Romans chapter 5 before we land to where I'm going to land in chapter 6. Uh, let's begin in verse number 1. The Bible says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Powerful opening to chapter number five. I want to particularly point out verse two again. By whom also we have access. What's the next two words, church? By faith into this what? Grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, just a little bit of a recap on what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. That means favor that you have been granted that you personally did not earn or deserve. A lot of religious folk don't like grace terminology because they don't think it's fair to the human condition. They would prefer a system by which we measure one another by standards that we have in our mind and it'll be easier for us to detect by our own list whether I'm better than you or not. And the religious nature of man, you can follow it all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 where uh, Cain and Abel uh, offered offerings to God. Cain offered up the fruit of his own hands where Abel offered up a sacrifice. And that's the first indicator of man-made religion in human history was when Cain produced an offering to God of the works of his own hands. And the reason God was not pleased with Cain's sacrifice, or offering rather, is because it was a work of his own hands. And God had already told, uh, taught them by example uh, whenever he made uh, clothing out of uh, animal skin to cover his parents' nakedness in the garden. Y'all remember that? 
it had undoubtedly already been, God had already had a Sunday school lesson with Adam and Eve, and they had already trained their children, Cain and Abel, on what it takes to cover their sin before the presence of God, and what kind of offering is acceptable to God. And so for Cain to say, I don't want to offer up a blood sacrifice. I want to impress God with my ability to produce a mind-blowing crop was for him to rise into the epitome of pride and sit on the same seat as Satan himself, to assume that he could impress God with his nature and with his ability and with his performance and to offer up religious works that God would look at and say, you know what, I'm pretty impressed with that, Cain. I think I'll accept that. And so he was arrogant to assume that God would give him any righteousness as a result of the works of his own hands, especially after he had already been taught better. And so uh, it is human nature when man is lost in sin to try to justify himself or otherwise fix himself. And man, without the aid of the Holy Spirit of God and without the enlightenment of the Scripture of God's Word, will always be finding ways to fix their self and to try to make themselves presentable before God if they even believe in Him. Even the most lost and unchurched people have some sense of moral compass as off as it may be. Some sense that maybe if there is a God, there's something that I must do to reach His height or to gain His favor. And that's where all the world religions are birthed is in lost humanity's hunger and desire to produce something worthy of admiration from God on Almighty, but everybody got it wrong. Everybody got it wrong, except for the one who put their faith and trust in their Creator alone for their righteousness. The only people that got it right was to realize that they were in sin and there was absolutely nothing that they could offer to God in form of works unto salvation that would appease His wrath or make them acceptable in His sight. And so grace enters. Grace is when Jesus looks at humanity and says there's no way they can save themselves, so I'm going to have to roll up my sleeves and get dirty and do the job for them. And I'm going to make myself available as a sacrifice so that if they'll call on my name and put their trust in me, I will transfer my perfectness, my righteousness onto their account. And it will be, not be their righteousness, but it will be my righteousness that saves them. And that, my friend, is grace. When God gives you something that there's no way that you could earn or deserve. Amen. Now, understanding then what grace is, and after having just kind of recapped that, because I know you've heard me teach on it several times in the past, now let's carry on with the Word of God, skipping to chapter 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What is the answer in verse 2? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? 
Now, I believe, not because this is a Baptist doctrine, but because this is Bible doctrine, that once saved, if you're saved, you are eternally saved. Because it has never been of works of man, and it never will be works of man. You follow me? Now, 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 now you got to follow this. Because I'm saved by grace, the tendency for the average person that don't understand that doctrine is to believe that, well, if you believe in once saved, always saved, you also believe that you can live any way you want to and still go to heaven. You never heard that coming out of this preacher's mouth. And you never will. Because when God saves you, there will be a change of nature. The nature of the divine will move into your heart. And you will become a new creature in Christ. Old things will be passed away. All things will become new. And I will go so far as to say this. If you say you got saved and you have the attitude that you now have a license to sin, you didn't get saved. Because true salvation comes with repentance. What comes first, repentance or faith? It's a trick question. It's a trick question. I don't expect you to get it right necessarily. Let me, th let, me, let me say this. They run together. Faith and repentance are inseparable. Real faith and real repentance in God are inseparable. It's not which one happens to the other. You come to God with a repentant faith, right? Your faith is illustrating your repentance. Your faith in Christ is illustrating the fact that you, while you're a trust in Christ, you're also turning from your sin all at the same time. It's simultaneous. But if you have a faith that is absent of repentance, then you don't have genuine salvation. Because true faith in Christ is the act of transferring your trust from one way to a different, right? And so what happens then is uh, people get this notion that they can uh, just live loose and God's going to be okay. And that's what abusing grace is. That is when people take for granted and actually abuse the grace of God. The question that we read in chapter 6 and verse 1 is, is really asking the question, is it permissible to abuse the grace of God? And the Bible said, God forbid. Because how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In other words, if you're truly born again, how could you even want to live the old life again? Amen? Amen. And, 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 and I realize that we're not going to be perfect even after we're saved because our flesh is not redeemed yet. Now, there's been a down payment on it. Amen. The earnest of our inheritance, the Holy Spirit living in us, is the down payment for our body. In other words, our body is not glorified yet. And until it's glorified, it's going to have an old sin nature living in it. Uh, and you're going to have trouble with your flesh until you breathe your last breath. It's going to want things it shouldn't want. It's going to act ways it shouldn't act. And you're going to have to drag it to church. And you're going to have to drag it to this and that to do things for God because it don't want to do anything but what it wants to do. That's just the old flesh. That's the old nature. That's not the... Now, and what, what the Holy Spirit does at the moment of salvation is he, he, uh, there's a circumcision of the heart. That is a cutting away so that your spirit man does not share the same corruption and uh, fate of corruption as your natural fleshly man amen because your flesh is going to die unless jesus comes and raptures you out of here before before you do 
But what happens a lot of times is people get into this mode of thinking to where they're very relaxed about allowing unrepentant and unconfessed sin exist in their lives, even as born-again Christians. And I'm not even saying that you can't get there as a Christian. I'm just saying you better check up. Amen. I, I'm, I am saying this. There is a price to pay for abusing grace, meaning there is a price to pay for taking for granted the fact that because you're saved by grace, that God is somehow or another uh, going to just kind of wink at it and he's just going to kind of overlook it. No, my friend, he's still going to require holiness in the sight of the Lord. Amen. God expects us to live right after he makes us right. Okay? Because he's given us the power. I like to put it this way. Now that you're saved, you have options that you didn't have before you were saved. Before you were saved, you were a, a, a slave to sin. You look in chapter 6 and uh, verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. He said, whoever you are yielding to, that's the one that you have chosen to obey. So if you yield to sin then you have chosen to obey sin. And it's all within the context of living either inside of sin or without sin as a born-again Christian. And to abuse the grace of God is to allow unconfessed, unrepentant sin fester in your life and just take for granted that God's got you covered. Now, I believe... With all my heart that if you're truly saved, you're going to go to heaven. But I also believe that there are dire consequences on this side and in eternity for not serving God the way we ought to. Somebody say amen right there. So let's look at this. Three things that I want to point out that happens when grace gets abused. Number one, I need to point this out. When grace gets abused, I want to say this. The anointing is weakened. Now, I preached about Samson this morning. And we talked about how the power of God came down upon Samson. And if you missed that, go back and listen to it. There was a lot of teaching involved in it. It was, it was uh, really uh, neat at some of the things the Lord brought out, even for me. And I've been in this thing quite a while, at least in my mind. Amen. But what we learned about Samson was that he got to a place in his walk with God where he got loose with sin. He got loose with it. And if you remember, there's a few times it looked like he was getting away with it. But then what happened on that night of the dance that we talked about this morning? He laid his head in the lap of Delilah. Uh, no doubt she probably had him intoxicated so that he could be knocked out good enough for her to cut all of his hair off and not wake him up. And then when she, when he finally was enough time passed, you remember the story. He got up as before, said, I will go out as before, and he couldn't go out as before. The power of God left. What happened? The anointing was weakened. Now, what I mean by anointing is the covering God puts on you and the power he puts on you to do the task that he has for you. That's what the anointing is. The anointing is not given so you can flash it around like a badge of honor. So, ooh, look at me, I'm anointed. 
No. It's just a covering by God to empower you and enable you to do kingdom assignments that He has given you instructions to do. I could not pastor this church if God did not anoint me to pastor this church. But because this is my assignment, He gives me the anointing that I need to pastor this church. My family could not sing under the touch of God if they were not called to that ministry. But because they're called and yielded, God anoints their music and He covers them to be effective in their ministry. If God calls you to go witness to your neighbor, and He has, the anointing comes on you when you need it. It's not like you're living on a spiritual high 24-7, 365. Everybody say amen. There's days I don't even feel saved, and, and I, I'm ashamed to admit this. There's a lot of days I don't think saved. Thoughts. I don't feel saved feelings. I don't do saved things sometimes, right? Oh, Lord, help us. But when God has an, assamp, uh, an assignment, like Samson before he messed up, uh, the Spirit of the Lord would come on him, for, and it was an assignment-based situation. So you get the anointing when you had the assignment. Now here's what happens when grace is abused. God's grace is so good, He's patient with you. And He's not going to leave you, and He's not going to forsake you, but He's not going to continue to empower you to serve Him when you're allowing unconfessed sin to fester in your life. At some point, there's going to be a weakening and maybe even a dismissal of that anointing for the task. You'll lose your touch, you'll lose your tenderness with God, you'll lose your effectiveness, you'll lose your passion, and before, it, before you know it, you're not able to, to be the a witness that God wanted you to be or that you used to be because you have allowed sin to creep in and you've abused the grace of God. And if you want to be effective for God, you're going to have to keep a short sin account. Can I get an amen? You're going to have to quit abusing the grace of God and take your sin just as seriously as Christ did when he was crucified to pay for it. The anointing is weakened when grace gets abused. Not only that, but I want to say this. When grace gets abused, the accountability is heightened. The accountability. Go with me to Luke chapter 12. I'm going to turn, turn in my printed Bible. Amen. Luke chapter number 12. Start with me, verse 41. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. How many of you want to be found faithful servant when he comes? Say amen. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens and to eat and drink and be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him. Just like Samson we preached about this morning, he didn't see it coming, but it did. And, and, and at an hour when he was not aware and will cut him in sunder 
and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant when, which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But, that, but he that knew not, watch this, and did commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required, and to whom men have committed much of him they will ask the more. Look at verse 48 again. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. In other words, the more you know, the more accountable you will be held. Now here's the thing about grace. You know the price that Christ paid for your sins. I know the price that he paid for my sins. I am not ignorant that God gave the very blood of his only begotten son to pay my sin debt. Knowing that, how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy? Amen. I mean, it's one thing to act ignorant, but we're not. And because we're not ignorant, God's accountability, he's going to hold us doubly accountable. When we live against or in opposition to the grace that God provides. You know why God gave you grace? Not to give you a license to sin, but to give you a license to live above your sin. To give you the power to overcome your sin. Amen. His grace is there. Yeah, it's going to cover you, but, but, but it's going to cover you not for you to take advantage of it, but for you to benefit from what it's there for. Yeah, there's forgiveness, and I thank God for that, but there's more to it than just being forgiven. God, deliver us from Christians that are just satisfied with being forgiven. It's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to be serving. What are you doing for Jesus? Come on, everybody. Let me have an amen if you're with me there tonight. We abuse the grace of God when we not only when we do the things we shouldn't, but when we don't do the things we should. And, 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 you know, there's, the Bible says, He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So when we don't do what we know we should, we abuse the grace of God. And when we do that, we will be held doubly accountable because we, of all people, know better. Amen. And so, and of course, we could get into the loss of rewards. Somehow or another, it's going to be, it's going to be meaningful. It's going to have an impact to have less crowns to cast at his feet in heaven. I can't theologically explain to you why that even, you know, I've heard all of the, and I believe there's, no, there's going to be no tears in heaven. There's going to be no sorrow and all of that. There's going to be no regret, right? It's going to be a perfect bliss. But there's some significance to the loss of rewards. Uh, and I don't know as yet how to explain it. But trust me, when we get to heaven, we're going to regret the day 
that we allowed sin to fester in our lives. We're gonna, there's going to be consequences, and I don't believe a saved man's going to go to hell. But the, the, your your works that you did and the energy of your flesh are going to be burned up. And I don't know about you, but I want some crowns to cast at his feet. I don't want to be left around the throne of God with millions of others casting their crowns at his feet and I have nothing to cast at his feet. Think about that. For all of eternity, will we be crownless? Oh, we've always quoted the scripture over our deceased loved ones and and it's comforting thought. Uh, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We'll say, oh, the Lord must have welcomed him. But what if he didn't? What if we get to heaven and it wasn't well done, thou good and faithful servant? What if it was, well, we got some things to talk about. You know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, let's, let's just be real here. There's going to be a judgment seat of Christ. And our works will be judged. So there will be consequences that they will, we will have to have a conversation with God about even after we're dead and gone. Fascinating stuff. And, and I can't explain it all theologically to you, but I can tell you the things that I do know. One of the things I do know is there's coming a day we're going to regret abusing God's grace. And we're going to be held accountable for why we didn't seize the moment and the opportunity that grace affords us to serve God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. And then let me say this. Uh, when grace is abused, the anointing is weakened, the accountability is heightened. And, and let me look at number three. I've already read this verse, but let me look at Romans 6, verse 16 again. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. In other words, you can make a choice to live for sin and it'll bring death, or you can make a choice to live in obedience unto righteousness. Your choice, right? Now, knowing this, and knowing that even as a saved, born-again child of God, I don't believe there is such a thing as a sinless perfection before you get your glorified body. Because I know the flesh that you and I are made of. And if our actions are right, our attitudes are wrong. And if our attitudes are wrong, our thought, uh, right, our thoughts are wrong. And if our thoughts are right, something's else off. Can, can somebody just be honest with me and say amen right there? It's something going on all the time where we have to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I plead the blood of Jesus. I ask for your forgiveness. Amen. And, and I believe grace covers all of that. But here's what we need to understand. Whenever you make a choice to live for yourself or to abuse God's grace, the third thing you need to understand is that the assignment that God has given you is threatened. Samson had the assignment. I keep referring back to that because it's fresh on our mind. Samson had the assignment of, of uh, well, basically destroying the enemies of Israel. The Philistines, he was a thorn in their side. That was his anointing. That was his assignment. But when he dabbled in sin, messed up, his assignment was threatened. I don't want, I don't want to miss accomplishing the assignment that God put me here to accomplish because I was unwilling to deal with my sin. I don't want this. Y'all pray for your pastor. I'm telling you, pray for me because Satan attacks me almost every day. I don't need to drop the ball 
I don't want to drop the ball. This is an assignment that God has given me, and I don't want to ever abuse His grace. And I want to honor Him with my every fiber of my being, and I'm just not perfect, and I pray God covers me because of that. And you pray that the assignment is not threatened because of the frailty of this old flesh. Amen. Because the more effective we are, the more Satan fights. The more effective we are, the more this flesh wants to flare up. I'm telling you, I have the same problems that you do. Just because pastors in front of my name don't mean that I'm more spiritual than you are. I just have a different assignment than you. And we need to pray for each other that we don't drop the ball and fail to pass the baton to the next generation. Amen. Because lives are at stake. Amen. Eternity is at stake. The future of this church is at stake. And I, God help us to never bring reproach to the name of Christ. That's what it is. When we abuse God's grace, we even threaten the assignment, the effectiveness of the assignment. And, and God help us tonight to be finishers and not just starters. Amen. Amen. Now, I, I do believe theologically that God don't need me. That I'm just as replaceable as anybody else. But let me say it to you this way. I'm not replaceable to these boys. And, and I'm not saying this from a theological perspective, but I'm saying this from a practical perspective. God needs me to be these boys' daddy. God didn't pick somebody else to be their daddy. God picked me. And if he picked me, he must have needed me for that assignment. And so don't degrade the value of you in God's kingdom where you're at. Don't be so super spiritual about, well, I'm just a nobody saved by the grace of God, that you miss the point that God has invested a lot in you for you to fulfill the assignment that he has for you. And so because of the blood, you are important to God. Because of the blood, you, God needs you. God needs his people to do right. He could exist without us, but he chose not to. So why don't we just do it God's way, right? Let's just do it God's way and watch God work. And of course he's going to get all the credit and all the honor and all the glory. He did it all. He could do it without us, but he, but he don't want to. I like what the songwriter said. He didn't want heaven without us, so he sent heaven down. Woo! Mm. One of my favorite lyrics right there. Oh, glory to God. Thank him for his grace. Oh, but Lord, help me to respect your grace. Let's pray. Father, we need your touch. We need your anointing. We need your power. And we need a determination, oh God, to live above reproach. To live and to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. Wash us in your blood and fill us with your spirit. Help us, O oh God. Lord, to bring honor and glory, to be vessels of honor and not dishonor. Help us not to abuse the grace of God. Lord, help us to respect you, to honor you. Lord, you are worthy of a thousand percent of our devotion. 
Oh, we can't offer up a perfect praise, but help us to offer up the praise that we can. Not only now, but for the rest of our lives in every moment, in every waking hour of our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen.